0: All right, Uh, why don't you join me in Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel chapter 37. If you have one of the Bibles in the pews, there's an index at the beginning there. I apologize, I normally get the page number and I didn't do that this morning. But if you, um, kind of probably a little bit toward the middle, Uh, if you're at home, uh, the passages will be on the screen as well if you need that. We are in the middle of a series called Come Alive, and so looking at some various passages in the prophetic book in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, and just where this prophet was speaking into a really difficult low point in Israel's history. Uh, They were in exile, they were amongst the Babylonians, they weren't home, life was not going as they wanted as it should be, and part of that's their own doing, and Ezekiel speaking into that. And helping them to see the reality of where they are, see the reality of what's gotten them to that place, but also that God is still working. And last week we talked about how they needed to hear the word of the Lord. We talked about how important it is for us to hear the word of the Lord, to be in the scriptures, to be people who are constantly wanting to see what God has for us. And so hopefully you were encouraged by last week to open your Bible throughout the week, uh, to be not just reading it and checking a box, but Okay, what does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about being one of his children? How does this convict me or challenge me, encourage me, whatever that might be? We're going to take that into a different portion of Ezekiel today. And I know we just prayed, but I'd like to pray again and just ask that God would speak to us through his word this morning. And God, thank you for today. Thank you for these leaders and just the men and women that just love this church. Uh, I pray that, again, just adding my word to that, your blessing upon them and just uh, strengthen them. I pray, God, you would protect them protect their hearts, protect their lives, um, and just bless them in a real way, God. We thank you for this church. Thank you for all the people that make this place what it is, the different stories that you have brought into this community and the DNA that it makes this, all of the past and the present and the future dreams, the hurts, the challenges, the victories, all those things that make this community what it is, God. We pray that you would, though, make us more and more into your image, that you would make us look more like you, sound more like you act more like you help us God to come alive because we are alive in you and I pray you would speak to us through your word about that this morning whether we're watching at home whether we're here in this building that you would move in our heart spirit and hear us hear the things from you that we need to hear this morning in your name we pray amen so in the second Avengers movie The Age of Ultron, why is that funny? Uh, The Age of Ultron, Tony Stark is given this nightmare from the Scarlet Witch. Um, We're not going to go a big theological discourse of Age of Ultron this morning. Let me just go ahead and either uh, put some of you at ease or let some of you down by saying that. Uh, But there's this one scene that I do want to show you because I think it illustrates something really important for what we are going to talk about. So this is the scene where Tony gets this nightmare. on the prize. in. You're going to have to watch that one on your own if you haven't seen it. <laughs> this dream from Wanda is one of complete destruction. Earth's mightiest heroes have been defeated. Their bodies are laying there on this pile. There's a hill of dead bodies. There's this, it's a forbidding image of the future. It's a vision of utter hopelessness. The hopelessness, actually, that he gets from this vision consumes Tony Stark, and he becomes infatuated with trying to prevent it. It's a vision of hopelessness. Now, I show you this because the vision from Ezekiel that we're going to look at today in Ezekiel 37 starts in a similar place. It says in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1 The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. I mean, when Tony Stark saw his vision, there was at least bodies there. He could identify people. But God brings Ezekiel to a valley full of skeletons. And it's not just like a couple here, a couple there. It is edge-to-edge bones. And God had to lead him through them. And for a priest who wasn't supposed to touch a dead body, this was unthinkable. They were dry bones which means that they weren't recently deceased people. The scavenger animals were gone. There was complete decomposition. They've passed being able to be identified. They were on the surface and not buried. This is not an arbitrary detail. During this time in culture, to not be buried, to be seen in this way, was a sign of being cursed. Christopher Scholar Christopher Wright says these bones are not just evidence of death but of death under a curse. These bones proclaim that their owners had been victims not only of battle but also of divine judgment. Like Tony Stark, Ezekiel is walking through a vision of utter and complete hopelessness. For ancient Israel, Hearing this, this is a vision of the nation's end. They were in exile in Babylon because of their abandoning God and their unfaithfulness. And this vision was their future. Hopeless. Hopeless. We can feel hopelessness at times, can't we? We know what that feeling is like. We either do know what it's like or we have known what it's like. June Hunt defines hopelessness as absolute despair with no expectation of good. It's also been defined as helplessness and pessimism, a uh, a perception that one has no reason to try. We may feel like we are walking through Ezekiel's valley after something tragic has happened. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe the loss of a job. Maybe the end of a relationship or friendship. We may feel hopelessness because of conflict, because of uncertainty or confusion about people or life over the future. It may be be because of the winter blues. It may be because of a blocked punt in the last five minutes of a game. Is that too soon? Is that all right? Sorry, sorry. Had, Had to go there. But the despair is real. The hopelessness is real, and it can either cripple us or we can put every effort to try and stop it, usually to no avail. When are the moments that you have experienced hopelessness? When have you known that? Again, maybe it's something that you've experienced long ago. Maybe it was something from the last couple years within this COVID life. Maybe it's something, a season you're in right now. There isn't anybody in here. There isn't anybody listening this morning that hasn't had this feeling. We know all too well what hopelessness is like. God leads Ezekiel through this skeleton-filled, cursed valley, and he asks Ezekiel, this question. God said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Now, in other parts of the Old Testament, God had brought people back to life, but they were all people who had been passed for only a short while. They weren't decomposed. They weren't just bones. This crowd is well past being resuscitated. Hey, Ezekiel, can these skeletons live again? Can these people come back? Can this nation bounce back? Can this hopeless situation have hope again? Now, when you're standing in a desolate place like that, when you are part of the desolation and you feel it, You don't need to get help with the answer to that question. It is glaringly, incredibly obvious. No, bones can't come back to life. There is no way that this can happen. But Ezekiel knows who is asking the question. Ezekiel doesn't answer it based on the field of bones that he is standing on. He answers the question based on the one who is leading him through the valley and what he knows about him. And so Ezekiel says, "O oh Lord God, you know. O oh Lord God, you know the answer to that. Lord, only you know if that's possible." You are the one who created with the word, who brought the flood, who appeared in a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire. You brought the ten plagues. You made the sun stand still. You brought years of famine and years of harvest. You had men walk through fire unharmed. You kept the lion's mouth shut and countless other things. You and only you know the answer to that question, God. And God speaks, telling Ezekiel to speak. These dry bones need to hear the word of God. I mean, remember, that's how the whole thing started last week. We were at the beginning of Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me. Speak to them, preach to them. Let the people hear the word of the Lord. And here God is saying, These dry bones, these skeletons, this place of hopelessness needs to hear the word of the lord as well and so verse 4 then he said to me prophesy over these bones and say to them O dry bones hear the word of the lord like we said ezekiel is all about hearing the word of the lord 82 times we said the word is used in this book and now the word is coming to dry bones It says in verse 5, Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, and as I was commanded, Ezekiel says, verse 7, And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone, and I looked, and behold, there was sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. I mean, it starts out. Let's just be honest. This starts out like a horror movie, right? I mean, to to be in a valley that big, full of bones, and hear the rattling, and see these bones moving, and skeletons coming, that, that, I don't care how dumb the horror trope is of people sticking around, people would jet, right? That would be scary, but then the bones become skeletons, and the skeletons get veins, and muscles, and organs, and then there's skin, and there's people there, decomposition is reversed, skeletons are reformed. Everything that makes them human has returned. The bodies are reformed, but there's something missing. It's like they're healthy zombies. People there, but no life yet. It says in verse 9, He said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, Son of Man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain. That they may live, and so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. The Hebrew word here we see for breath, and this paragraph I just read is the same word that's also used uh, where, we, where we use the word spirit, and for wind. And so whatever is being referred to here, though Daniel scholar Daniel Block says the breath represents the divine animating force without which no life is possible. The point, only God, from whom all life derives, can revive these bones. Only God can do this. It mimics back to Genesis 2, when God created Adam. God formed his body from the dirt and then got down and breathed into him the breath of life. Here God has reformed these these people from the dry bones where they were in the dirt and now he's bringing the breath of life back into them. And this is not, they are returned, they are a people, but they're people with a purpose. This is an army, I mean, if this was a movie, you could just see like the rattling and then coming together, the breath entering into them, and then these people just looking at their armor and their army. There'd be some grand like music behind them. They're ready to go to battle. It would go from a hopeless situation to Ezekiel standing there in awe of what he's just seen. But remember, this is a vision which Ezekiel is having. And next, God explains it to him. It says in verse 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, Definitely not the epic background music I was thinking of when I (laughs) said that. But A for effort. Not Zimmerman right there, I can say that. will do it, declares the Lord. They know that this valley of bones is them. Their hope is lost. They say, we are cut off from the Lord. But God, and God doesn't negate that. No, 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 you're good. He doesn't tell them that they're wrong in thinking that. In fact, he acknowledges, did you hear it as I was reading it, time and time again, you're in the grave you're in the grave, you are dead in the grave. He says that multiple times, but he also tells them what he's going to do. I'll bring you out of that grave. You will not be like these dry bones. I'll bring you home to your land. You will not be in an unnamed field. I will remind you that you are my people and I am your God. I created this nation. I will place my spirit not around you, but within you. Things may seem hopeless because you have created this hopeless situation, Israel. But I am the God who gives new life and gives hope. You are not done because I'm not done with you yet. What seems like a dystopian vision of hopelessness and judgment Is all actually, in all actually, was God letting Israel know that their story is not over, that God still is their God, and they do have hope. Started in complete hopelessness, ended with perfect hope. Now, this is about God's time, Israel's time in exile, but what does Ezekiel's vision communicate for us today? Well, two things. The first one is this. Only God could bring life to a field of dry bones and only God can bring life to us as well. Only God can bring life to a field of dry bones and only God can bring life to us as well. I mean, the New Testament explains this really clearly that we are all like that valley of dry bones. It says in Romans 3, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Ephesians 2.1, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. I mean, that's the truth. We are the dry bones. The reality of sin is that we're dead, a valley of bones, and the bones could not do anything for themselves, and neither can we. Sure, a doctor may be able to work on themselves a little bit if they're sick, but a dead doctor can't do anything if they're dead. And we are like that. We cannot do anything for our sin situation. Like Israel, in our sin, we are cut off and separated from God. Our dry bones life is one of ultimate hopelessness. It definitely will have moments of positive along the way, They'll have moments of joy and beauty along the way, but ultimately apart from God, it ends in hopelessness. And on our own, we can't change it. Only God could deal with the bone situation and only God can take care of ours. It says in Romans 5, when we were utterly helpless, God Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people could not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. If the wages of sin is death, Christ paid the penalty for our sin. It says in Titus 3, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sin, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. It's not because of anything we do that makes us right with God. We can't do enough. We can't fix this. We are unable to adjust the situation. Only somebody somebody else needed to step in. And the only one who could do that, Titus tells us, is God lovingly, kindly, caringly sending his son to take care of our issues, our sin problem. It says in Ephesians 2, But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. This is is the reality. When we look to the cross, when we look at the cross and see what Jesus has done, we are seeing the immense love of God for you and I. Because whether we like it or not, whether we admit it or not, the cross was for us. That was our cross. We deserve that. We needed to do that, but we couldn't. Jesus paid the penalty for us because he loved us he died in our place so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be restored it says in first john if anyone does sin we have an advocate who pleads our case before the father he is jesus christ the one who is truly righteous he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins but the sins of all the world This is the beauty of the cross. Jesus made it possible for our dry bones to come alive. The wages of sin is death, Romans said, but our sin was put upon him at the cross. Raised from the dead, he won the victory over sin and death. He rose again, bringing a new life into human history, and he invites you and I into that. Our series is called Come Alive. Are you ready to come alive today? Because if you have never put your faith in Jesus, if you have never received that gift of salvation that he has for you, then you are like those bodies that got formed together, that were there, that were walking, but they weren't truly alive yet. We are not truly living until we are living in Jesus. You need to receive the gift of God, the gift of salvation that he has for you. Romans 10 says if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it's openly declaring your faith that you are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You have to call on the name of Jesus. You have to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I can't do this. I can't guide myself. I need you. You have to acknowledge that. If you can do that today, let today be the day that you begin to live. Let today be the day that you find life in God. And if we could help you with that, if you have questions about that, you don't have to come to me. You don't have to go to anyone. You go to the Lord But we're doing this together. We're helping one another. And if you have questions, if you want to figure, trying to process things, please, please, please come and see me or someone with a lanyard afterwards and we would love to help you. Not to talk you into something, not to coerce you, but just to say, how can we help? What doesn't make sense? How can we pray with you? But if you, if God is tugging on your heart, he is prompting you, he loves you immensely and he wants that relationship with you. He wants you to be alive in him. Let today be the day that you accept that. Only God could bring hope, life to a field of dry bones. And only God could bring life to us as well. The other thing I think it's really important from this story is that only God can bring hope to a field of dry bones and only God can give us hope. When we begin that relationship with Jesus, 1 Peter chapter 1 says, according to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope, a constant ongoing hope. What does he mean by that idea of living hope? Well, speaking on Ezekiel 37 also, Pastor Tim Keller shares insights from Viktor Frankl. He says this: Victor Frankel, who was a Jewish doctor, who was put to, into the death camps and survived the death camps during World War II, wrote a book called *Man's Search for Meaning*. As a doctor, Frankel was fascinated by the fact that the death camps were horrible places, which is an understatement. Death was imminent. Death was everywhere. Death could take you like that. You were stripped of everything. It was an awful experience. But he noticed people responded to it in different ways, into three different ways. Some people got bad. They lost all of their principles. They did anything to survive. They betrayed one another. They exploited people. They were informers for the Nazis and so forth. Some people just gave up. They literally kind of just dried up. They withered. Sometimes they actually literally lay down, curled up in a ball, and died they became despondent some people became quietly heroic some people had courage made sacrifices and in the manner in which they handled it were heroic people those who became bad those who gave up and those who became heroic within it Viktor Frankl said, What was the difference? He came to this conclusion. It depended on what your hope was. If you had a hope or a meaning in life, if you had a hope, something you lived for, that suffering and death could not take away from you, then you were a, a goner in the death camp. If you lived for money, and that money was taken from you. If you live for family, your family was taken from you. If you live from status, rich and poor were all thrown together in the same hole and dressed in the same rags. He realized most people did not have a hope that could stand up to death. They didn't have a hope that could overcome death. They had a hope only for this life. And so you think about that This is the power of life in Jesus is that we have a hope that transcends life and conquers death. We have a hope that overcame death, and that's the test for what we put our hope in. Ask yourself what you're putting your hope in: is it your finances? Is it a relationship? Is it your status, the way other people see you, the stuff that you have, and the image that you can create? Is it your accolades, your achievements? What does death do to any of that? It can remove all of them. None of those things can withstand death. None of those things can give us hope after death. The reality is, is that all of those things can be taken from us. This is why in the first six to nine months of the pandemic, the the first to six to nine months of the pandemic showed the world what their hope was in. As so many things started getting taken away or fractured, hopelessness became more and more of an issue because people's hope was rooted in the things of this life and not God and not Jesus, a living hope that transcends death. It doesn't mean that anything that I mentioned is bad. It's just nothing you should put the hope you need and want in. None of them can give you the hope our lives crave. Author Alfred Ellis says this, Hope looks to God's goodness despite the pain. It's our hope in his goodness and love for us that makes all the difference in how we meet each day. When I put my hope in him, I'm believing that I don't have to walk through any storm alone without an umbrella, stumbling in the darkness. I am trusting that God will always be with me. He will cover me with his pinions and shelter me with his wings. And his word will be a lamp for my feet. With God as my partner in life, I will always have hope and a future. And I just ask you again, who is your hope in You cannot find life apart from Jesus and we cannot find hope for afterlife or while we're living it apart from Jesus. You need to find hope in him. A friend shared this story with me this week of an encounter that Kate DiCamillo, author of The Tale of Despero, had this week in the grocery store. She posted this on social media. The author says I was standing in the grocery store checkout line and a small boy walked up to me. Pet walked past me. He walked past once, twice, three times and I could tell he was looking at me. When he came back the fourth time, he was holding his mother's hand. "That's her," he said and he pointed at me. "Don't point, honey," said his mother. And then to me she said, "My son's class is reading your book, The Tale of Despero, and he thinks that you're the author of that book." My son's class is reading this book. And he thinks that you're the author of the book. And she said, I am the writer. Oh, she said, how lovely. Is it okay if he asks you a question? Absolutely, I said. Go ahead, honey, the mother said to her son. The child looked up to me and he said, what I want to know is will it be okay? Will the mouse be okay? Because remember, they they were reading it. They hadn't got done yet. Will the mouse be Okay. Yes, I told him. Oh, good, he said. Good. Now I can relax my heart. Yes, I said. Yes, you can. You know, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what the challenges are. These last two years have been incredibly challenging and difficult. I have felt it. You have felt it. On top of all everything else. And I can't tell you that that situation is necessarily going to end. I can't tell you it's going to be easier. I can't tell you it's not going to hurt. I can't tell you it's not going to hurt worse. But I can tell you that if you have Jesus, it'll be okay. Because you have hope. You your heart can rest in the middle of even the most difficult thing because with Jesus you have hope this is what the dry bones tell us even in the midst of hopelessness god is present and he gives life he is not done with you and so bring that reality into whatever you're going through some of you here this morning Your bones need to come alive because you need to find life in Jesus for the first time. You have never trusted him as your Savior. He is not Lord of your life. So I challenge you, you need to do that today. Not wait till later, not I'll think about it. Stop putting off what you know needs to happen. You need to trust Jesus. And so while we're doing this last song, let this be a time of prayer. God, I confess that you are our Lord, and I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to receive the gift of life that you've made possible for me on the cross. Make me your child. You pray that while we're doing this song. Some of you, you, you follow Jesus. You call him Lord of your life. But your bones need to come to life because you've been looking to other things for hope and not him. You've been trusting yourself or trusting other people or whatever it might be but you're feeling hopeless because you're looking to hopeless things rather than the Lord.